What up, Land Mavericks? This is Jaron Barnes, the host of the Land Mavericks podcast. In today's episode, we are joined with Melanie Sigma, who is the managing partner of One Stop Tax Strategist. Hands down, these guys are the best CPA firm, tax planning strategy, etc., that I have ever found. I've been on the hunt for pretty much on and off the last decade of being exposed to real estate and business and entrepreneurship because most CPAs think like Spocks. They just want boxes and they don't want to push the envelope. They don't want to think creatively. It's not the case with Melanie and her team. They hands down think like us. They think like entrepreneurs. And of course, within the guidelines of being kosher and legal and doing everything right, they try to save you as much money as legally possible in terms of of taxes. So super excited for this episode. Definitely grab a pen and paper for some note-taking. This episode's pretty action-packed. The Land Maverick Podcast. Everything you need to know to crush it in land investing. So yeah, with that, Melanie, welcome to the show. Melanie, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you, my friend. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. So to kick things off, tell us a little bit about yourself, about the company you represent. Honestly, as I said in the intro, you're absolutely me. So far, my favorite CPA firm, uh, money right. people. You guys actually think like entrepreneurs and not Spocks. So I'm very excited to introduce you to the community. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, my dad's been a CPA for over 40 years. So that's kind of where kind of brought me and my sister into the business. And we love to save entrepreneurs money on their taxes and help them pay less tax so that they can focus on living more. A lot of people get into business so they can have freedom. They can um, pursue different dreams and then they find that oftentimes when they get into business, they're either too busy or they're throwing away too much of their, their tax dollars away to the IRS. So we like to help them, you know, bring more profit to their bottom line and help make a bigger difference in, in what they're doing with their business. So that's kind of what we do on the, the other side. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, and I have two kids, a six and an eight-year-old. And so that keeps me busy. But yeah. Yeah, we just came off of uh, Thanksgiving and I'm really, I honestly think that the kids are the magic behind the holidays. Like for the last like decade or so, Thanksgiving has been cool. Christmas has been cool. But this Thanksgiving was like magical. And I think it's an age thing too. Like my, my youngest is about to be at the time we're recording uh, three on Friday and my oldest is four. And like, I told my son that it was Thanksgiving and he was like, what? Oh my gosh, daddy. And like, like freaked out about it. So it, like, yeah, man, kids just make the holidays. So I love it. Yeah, they so, do. That's awesome. It's true. They bring the magic to the, to the season. <laughs> my, uh, my five-year-old just learned that normal kids get gifts on Christmas and birthday. So we are, we are now on the hook to, participate in American customs because for the first five years we, we didn't do any of that um, so now we're we're in the game 
Melanie, I did want to ask, is Kristen your sister? No, I could see why you think that. You think we look alike? Well, because you mentioned your sister and you have been doing it. Oh, for... no, my sister is Tiffany. She's uh, the operating partner of One Stop Tax Strategist. Okay, I have met Tiffany. Okay. Yeah. Well, very cool. So we wanted to have, do we want to disclose, of, do we want to say that you're not a CPA? I, I want to make sure you're, we represent you correctly, but also, um, you know, we're showing you from a flattering angle. Um, do you need to? Yeah. Okay. So, Melanie, we wanted to get a tax professional on the show because it's tax season. Everyone's thinking about their bottom line. And really, we think it's important to, we want to pay the government what we owe, but we also, um, we want to find legal ways to pay less taxes because when we pay less taxes, that means we have more money to spend. And when we have more money to spend, that means there's more money floating around in the economy and it actually helps the economy um, in the short term and the long term when citizens have more spending money, right? So tell us a little bit about your mentality when it comes to taxes and how how you can help entrepreneurs like us. Yeah. So our uh, kind of motto is we like to help business owners and entrepreneurs and investors pay as little tax as legally possible and stay out of trouble. And we have a big emphasis on stay out of trouble. Um, there's actually a Supreme Court judge named uh, Learned Hand, and he has a famous quote that we like to use. It says, anyone may arrange his affairs so that his taxes shall be as low as possible. He is not bound to choose the pattern which which he pays the treasury. So there, and it says there's not even a patriotic duty to increase one's taxes. So he's even saying you're not obligated to pay a ton in tax. They give you that tax code and that tax code is so big. If you actually shot a Colt 45 at it, it wouldn't penetrate it. And so it's so big that, you know, only a few of those pages teach you how to pay. The rest teaches you how not to pay. And so it's just learning how to work the system and use those those rules to, to your advantage. And most people don't have the time to read through that book. So it's important to hire a professional that does understand it. My biggest question though, I have for years, since I've been around real estate, since I've been around business, I have been looking for a CPA to that thinks this way. Because I've seen it as clear as day. The whole tax system seems to be something that you through proper structuring should be able to game and like set up in a way where again, we're not trying to, you know, break any rules. We want to be as ethical as possible, but within the guide, like the, the box or the, the, you know, the, the lines of the boundaries, we want to maximize saving our money as much as possible from paying the government because obviously we want more money. That's the whole reason why, I mean, it's crazy this stuff that, especially in the land business, because it's capital gains and the whole structure of things. I mean, it. I know people who literally had to put out 50% of everything that they've made over the span of a year because they didn't have proper tax structuring. But when I talk to CPAs outside of your company, outside of you guys, like they don't think that way. They're like, oh, well, these are the rules and like, you got to do it this way and yada, yada. But like, I talked to you guys and you're like, no, like, let's, let's be creative here. Let's figure out, you know, some, some strategies that 
you know, really are creative in nature and, and really help you save. Why don't other people, other CPAs think that way? I think, well, there's probably a couple of reasons and I can't answer for everybody because they're all different, but I think a creative and CPA is typically an oxymoron. My dad's actually, he, he's kind of an odd duck, but he's creative and he thinks of taxes as his art. And so he looks at it from a different standpoint than I think the average person does. And then also, I think a lot of them are just too busy to even do research and learn um, the other options. Their brain doesn't necessarily think that way. I don't think it's been purposely trying to not be creative. I just don't think they have the time to do it. Where for us, the, I think what sets us apart a little bit is that my dad, he also, he's an entrepreneur at heart. And then taxes are just one of the things that he understands. And so he doesn't do returns anymore. He just kind of takes his time to research and figure out more strategies. And then we systematize that so that our team can carry that out. So I think that's one thing that does set us apart and helps helps us be more creative for our clients. But some of it, it's just, um, I think their brain doesn't click that way always, but then other times it's the time. <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys exist because I've been on the hunt. Now, now all I need to do in terms of like setting up my fractional team is I need my go-to attorney and I'm set. But I've, I've for years, I've been looking for my go-to CPA accounting solution and my attorney. I'm still looking for an attorney, but I found you guys and I'm, I'm excited. So in terms of audit risk, because I, I know some people who are going to be more risk averse listening right now are like, you know, what, what are these strategies and creative things that you guys are doing? You know, well, if we work with so for those in our audience right now that might be a little bit risk averse and they might be hearing us talk about creative strategies and accounting and they're like, you know, starting to squirm, like, well, what about audit risks? Like what is, what's happening here? What are your guys, like, cause I think one of the, the, um, the beautiful things about working with you guys is you have an incredibly great track record in terms of, um, having some clients get audited, but you guys never, you know, there's no issue that comes from being audited, right? Well, our audit rate is, yeah, it's half of the national average. And then when we do get audited, it's really being audited. It's not that scary of a deal. As long as you're prepared, the biggest part is to have documentation. Documentation is everything. And so what we do when we tax plan and when we fill out the tax forms, we use industry averages. So every, every business and every um, you know, industry has a code that goes on their tax return. And so what we do is we pull up the industry averages for that, that code when we file the return. And so when we're tax planning, when we're planning things out, we look at kind of what, if, is there anything that'll stand out? That's what's going to cause you to get pulled for an audit. If there is, and there's a legit reason, then we just put a note in there, explain why, and oftentimes we'll bypass that. If it, if there's something in there that stands out and there's a reason for it, then we kind of need to figure out, okay, what do we need to do to make sure that we have proper documentation in place or anything like that to, to help it hold up. And also, I want to make a point that all of your creative strategies, because I, I use you guys as well, all these strategies you guys use are 100% legal and kosher so a good example would be I pay both my children um, as models because they're on my website, right? The compensation for a model is extremely subjective and it varies from, from person to person. And so that would be a great example of how my kids are being compensated fairly 
and it's reducing my taxes. Another silly example would be I go out to dinner with my wife and we spend half the meal troubleshooting some obstacles that I'm, I'm trying to work through. That becomes a business dinner because my wife is my business partner and we, we spend a good chunk of the meal talking about business. And I think a lot of CPAs and a lot of uh, entrepreneurs are afraid of, I don't want to call it a gray area because that's not fair. It's 100% legal, but they're kind of afraid of interpreting the tax law in a way that favors them. And if I can quote. Yeah, they're, they're afraid of like pushing the envelope. Like, I mean, because there is, again, if we're talking about boundaries, you can color within the lines, but you can get right to the line, right? And still be totally legit within the lines. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. It's making sure that everything is legit because the CPA that's signing that return is putting their their name on. They can lose their license if they're committing fraud. So it's important that they do. They are le- the the numbers are legit. The strategies are legit, and that's not anything we want to do. Is put you know our our business and our life um, on the line there. Um, and so yeah, it's all it's all appropriate. A lot of what we do is we just look at the lower tax brackets around you. Where can we shift some income to? You know, like my dad, for example, he uh, opened up a corporation owned by my grandma. My grandma is at the lowest bracket. And my dad's at the highest bracket. And so he hires my grandma's company for services and he shifts about 80,000 of his income to her bracket. It's taxed at her rate, not his. So he saves a net savings of $30,000 on that. And he uses that to support my grandma. She gives back the difference, but he makes a profit on helping my grandma out. So little things like that make a big difference. So one of the things that I wanted to address, because a lot of the people that listen to our podcast or maybe work with me in a coaching capacity, they might just be starting out. And one of the things that they need to understand with working with you guys is there is going to be an investment. Like it is, a you know, it is not the same thing as going to TurboTax and paying like a thousand bucks and like you're good to go, right? Like you're they're going to have to um, spend somewhere between five, 10, maybe upwards of 20, 30 grand depending on the size of their business and their revenue and what have you. And I really want to, I guess, address this in the podcast that people need to look at the service that you provide, not as like a, a, like a bill or like a cost, but it's like, Hey, instead of paying X amount of dollars to the government and taxes, I'm going to pay this lower amount and I'm going to end up saving, you know, th- th- this amount on the back end in terms of how much you guys can, can save us in taxes. So I don't know if like there's much of a question there, but I just wanted to like throw it out there that like, you know, it really, it's more of like an investment with a really good tax planner and, and what have you, like what you guys provide. It's, it's an exchange where it's like, Hey, yeah, I'm going to invest and put some money up, but it, you know, it's, it's going to save me on the back end. And Drew, I don't know if you're comfortable talking some numbers. Uh, I know we're just getting started, so I don't actually have our numbers firsthand. But how much working with Melanie and her team have have they saved you in taxes so far? Yeah. Well, first of all, Melanie and her team, they have a guarantee where whatever they charge, they have to save you at least three times as much in taxes. Is that correct, Melanie? 
Yeah, on the initial tax plan, we have that. So at least like on the deep dive, when we first jump in, we want to make sure we find at least the three times ROI for them. And we we have refunded on that, I will say, <laughs> but most of the time we don't have to. Right. And so I went from, just being real here, I went from a CPA that charged me $2,000, but he had no appetite, like, he had no appetite for creative strategies. And then I went to paying 11,000 with you guys. And then this year I'll, so for 2024, I'll pay 28,000. And the reason is because, uh, I'm paying 28,000 to save 150,000. And so there's a huge savings, totally kosher legal strategies. Uh, an easy example would be the Augusta rule. And, I've worked for the government for over 10 years. I have, I have no desire to... Um, I used to be a financial auditor for the private side, um, but I don't, it is certainly not patriotic to overpay in taxes. It, you're, you're adding money to an inefficient, bloated system, and I'm a very patriotic person myself, but I also, I also believe that that tax code... Is, is a playbook and it's a rule book and it's our job to figure out figure out certain strategies and so uh, yeah I, I will spend hundred I will spend twenty eight thousand to save hundred fifty and to me that's that's a great deal it's it's actually a better investment than flipping a piece of land yeah just yesterday I met with somebody they were showing a million dollars profit it had if they and so she actually messaged me because we're part of a mastermind group together. She's like, we can we meet with you on to see if we, you know, if you can help us come up with anything, because we just met with our tax professional and we got a million dollars net, and so I met with them and we can we can wipe out their entire bill if we want to. Yeah, and so we always look at the what are you paying in tax plus what are you paying your tax professional? That's your overall bill. The goal is to lower that entire amount. And I'll even tell people if it doesn't make sense for them to use us yet. So I, to me, it's fun to make people a profit on us. And so I want to make sure that we provide a lot of value. For the newer investors, we actually have quarterly office hours and um, a tax course that we give away for free. So that's a, a good thing for people that are just starting out. So in terms of general real estate, so if we're talking, because Land is pretty similar to flipping houses or wholesaling. You know, there there definitely some nuances that are unique to land, but it's a capital gains business. I mean, it's, you're just going to get hit pretty hard. What do you think would be? And I, again, I know that you know we're not necessarily seeking tax advice here, so everybody, disclaimer, disclaimer, don't sue us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, what are I guess some of the big wins that people can do some takeaways from our conversation to help mitigate their tax taxes that they have to pay. Yeah. If it's active income from a business, some of the things they can do, like Drew mentioned is get your kids on the payroll. You can pay your kids that are under 18 anywhere from up to 13,850 a piece tax free. You could do the Augusta rule, which he mentioned is where you rent your house to your business for corporate board meetings. And you could do that for 14 days tax-free. Um, we like to do the corporate board meetings because it creates a deduction on the business end, but it's not taxable on the personal end. 
You could do our ebb tide plan, which is what I mentioned with my my dad and my grandma, uh, where you shift some income to lower brackets around you. We got different ways around that. If you have a kid in college, you could do it with them. Any any kid over eighteen, we've done that actually to get one of our clients um, in state tuition for her daughter. And, um, that saves a lot more. And then anytime you visit your kid, it's now a business trip. So that part's pretty cool. And then we also have a a version of that called our baby mama plan. (laughs) If you got a kid with somebody and you're not married, you can do the, the baby mama plan and shift some income to their bracket. Um, And then we have a a strategy called the kick the can plan, which you could create a fiscal year in company. So a November year in company. And the way that we'll teach you how to funnel the funds back and forth, you basically kick that profit down the line until you want to pay it off. So uh, we have one client actually that did that. He has a $15 million deferral. He used that to fund certain real estate deals. And now he has over $9 million of assets paid for with money that he would have thrown to the IRS. So and he's just going to pair that with a life insurance policy and he's going to let the death benefit pay it off. So it's different ways to do it, but we call that kicking the can until you kick the bucket. <laughs> and then for capital gains, we have strategies we call our hangover pills. They're uh, your cure to the pain of capital gains. And there's a variety of strategies that we've used. It really depends on your particular situation. And honestly, I'd probably bore you to death if I went into detail, but for example, one of our clients sold their business for $6 million. We're able to utilize a charitable LLC, and we got that tax from $2.2 to $128,000, $2.2 million to $128,000. So for capital gains, um, our hangover pills are a good option. I do, Jaron, before you move move on, I do. I want to talk about if, if anyone here is... Because I just had this discussion with my family because they're all W-2, very loyal employees, loyal citizens. And we talked about the ethics of trying to pay less taxes. And if you think about the math of it, okay, paying less taxes and you have more money to spend, when you spend that money and it goes and it floats around the economy, the government is still collecting the same, if not more, tax because sales tax is being paid every single time you buy something. Those businesses are paying income tax. Those businesses are pay, are paying their employees. Those employees pay income tax. That, that recycled money still goes to the government. And so when we have more as an entrepreneur, we can make better decisions. We can help our economy grow. And the government still gets it, just a little bit more delayed. Yeah. And you can grow it. And make a, you know, it's like a, like the kick the can plan, for example, is we think of it like an interest-free loan. So it's not, um, it's not money that you're never going to pay back. You're going to have to pay it back. I mean, we do have strategies to absorb the deferral, but it's, we think of it like a loan and we're going to use that and grow it while we wait to pay that off. You know, Drew, I got to be honest with you, bro. You are on this podcast, the most political I've ever seen you be. I think this conversation got you a little nervous, man. You're like, I'm a great citizen. I'm in the army. I don't want to, you know, don't, don't, nobody sue me. It's okay. <laughs> it's really funny. No, because I just went through this with my family. Because when you're a W-2 employee, it's very binary. You put, load your stuff into TurboTax and that's it. It spits out a number, tells you what to pay. And so that type of thinking does not apply to the entrepreneurial world. 
and it's very uncomfortable for 90% of our country. And I'm very aware of it because I'm the only entrepreneur in my family. Yeah, I'm, I'm the opposite. Like everybody in my family either works for us or like me and my wife are in the game together. So everybody on, on our side is like, yeah, dude, let's save as much money as humanly possible, you know? And I, and to be fair, I mean, I actually think going, because you've been bringing up, you know, country and citizenship and stuff. Like, I think a big piece of being American is like being anti-tax and big government, man. Like, I mean, the think about how our country started. How did we start? We tossed the tea into the water because we didn't want to pay taxes on it, right? And our countries ran on entrepreneurs. How, you know, the majority of people are W-2 employees. How are they going to have jobs if there's not entrepreneurs to, to grow the businesses? One of the things I wanted to ask you about, Melanie, and I don't know if you can speak to this. This might be more of like an attorney, like entity structuring question. But in, I know Texas and certain other states, there are things, this this structuring called a series LLC, where essentially you have like a dominant, like, I guess, mama or like parent LLC or, or entity. And then underneath it, you have like makeshift uh, kind of plug and play uh, minor LLCs, I guess you could say. And what's interesting about that structuring is that it essentially makes it so that for every property you buy in our type of business model, where it's like transactional buying a lot of inventory, you could technically put a each individual property in its own unique um, LLC underneath the parent one. But it, some I've heard that some states don't really recognize series LLCs, and then some do, and it's kind of complicated. So wanted to pick your brain about that. Yeah. And that would be a big attorney question. I know that what the purpose of it is to separate out the liability. There's not really any tax benefits on that. And I know like California doesn't recognize series LLCs. So it really just depends on what state you're in. Um, but, but yeah, it's for liability protection. It, it basically separates the liability for each property or each asset within e- each individual LLC. Yeah, gotcha. And that's actually a good segue then. So I know you guys are based in California and a lot of people say, because the way that land investors do their business, 99% of them are investing remote. They're doing everything from their cell phone and their laptop. Oftentimes they're buying in multiple different states. Some people say that there is a case to be made about setting up your LLC or your dominant business in like Nevada or Wyoming, as opposed to say California, is there much benefit to like being established in a no tax state as opposed to, you know, like a, even like a Florida or, or, or Texas or what have you? So the purpose of it would be not for taxes. It would be for amnesty or liability protection. There are certain states that are more beneficial that give you more protection than others. But normally a person is going to pay tax in the state that they live in, regardless of where the entity is located. So oftentimes you're just increasing your accounting fees because you have multiple states that you have to file in now or, you know, a couple different corporations or LLCs, you know, there's additional fees for that. States like California, especially are very aggressive at getting, you know, what's owed to them. Uh, And they'll even track to the point where they'll track your cell phone pings. 
to, to make sure that you are actually living where you say you're living. But yeah, it's a case by case situation. And that would probably be another lawyer question or attorney question. So I, I actually have a friend that is, is an estate attorney that I can connect you with. And you could see if he could be your go-to person, but I would love that. We, I need an attorney for so many things. Yeah. That would be very. Yeah. He's in Ohio, but he's pretty knowledgeable. He does, he can just do consulting. I don't know if he could actually do certain things being in a different state, but he could definitely give you like a consultation on setup and entity structures and all that. Yeah, that'd be very helpful. I'll follow up with you offline on that. Hey, is it legal for California to do that? I can't stop thinking about that now that you said that. The cell phone pings? Yeah. Yeah, They. if you say you live... They, they should have to subpoena your, your cell phone records. I mean, you know, California pushes the envelope on a lot of things. <laughs> it's like if you... So if you say you moved to Florida... And, and this is, my dad says he's seen them do it. I don't think it's that common, but they are pretty aggressive at getting, if, if you say you live in another state and they don't think you do, they'll, they're pretty aggressive at getting what they, their taxes. <laughs> Cause a lot of people in California will say they live in Nevada, but they actually say live majority of the time in California. So my wife wanted me to buy a, like a cheap hundred thousand dollar condo in Missouri. So we could claim that as our residence. But I told her, because I heard a rumor that they track your credit card. Um, like every time you swipe your credit card, they know where you're at. But even then, they'd have to subpoena that. But still, I, I, that is one area I have no risk tolerance for, which is criminal activity. And so I, I, I fully claim that I'm in California 80% of the year. Yeah, it's not worth it. There's so many things that you can do legally. It's not worth it to risk risk going to jail. So again, this might be another attorney question, but foreign filing. A lot of what land investors run into is should they set up their dominant LLC in the state that they live in, in the state that they do the majority of their business in? What if they're in a situation where they do deals across multiple different states where does foreign filing come in with all of that? Yeah, I think that would be more of an attorney question. And usually it's like a case-by-case situation depending on where they're at and kind of what they have going on. And so it would be something we'd want to look at on a case-by-case basis. If we typically, because we'll, we'll do entity restructuring and help set up. If it's a liability issue, we'll pull in an attorney and help us kind of figure out making sure we're maximizing the tax side of things, but also the liability side. Um, and it really just depends for, for everybody's situations that the, the famous answer is it depends with the CPA. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of, people ask me that often as like the, like as a land coach or what have you. And I, I'm like, you know, cause I don't, I, I mean, I'm like, that's about my pay grade. You got to ask somebody who's a lot smarter than me has some letters after their name. But it is a, a tough question because like if I do a one-off deal in N- North Dakota, like am I really going to go through the process of foreign filing and like doing all that stuff? Probably not. But like, am I supposed to? I don't know. Maybe. So I don't know. So it's a, you gotta get an attorney. Yeah. There's always probably the, 
there's probably the best way to structure it. But sometimes I think people also overcomplicate it. And I meet with people that are brand new and they have like five different LLCs. And I mean, it depends on what state you're in. Some states aren't, aren't expensive where I'm from, you know, California, they charge $800 per LLC that you have. So it, that gets expensive, but sometimes it's just to me, unnecessary complications. And sometimes it makes sense to just keep it simple. We try to keep things as simple as possible. And I mean, if it makes sense to have multiple, then we'll do that. But it just depends. I would ask something around 16, something like, because we talked to, you know, in light of creative strategies, what are some things that we like pitfalls that we should avoid that might trigger an audit? Hey, hey, Melanie, at the beginning of this interview, you, you hinted at making sure the numbers are within a normal range compared to averages. What are some examples of things that would trigger an audit? Mm-hmm. I'd say going outside of industry averages, if let's say you're in a business that you don't really have a lot of business meals in on, a, on an average basis, but your meals are like way, you know, they're just crazy, extraordinary, you know, above average, that'll pull, that'll pull for an audit. The biggest red flag for an S corporation is not having an officer salary. And so um, what we like to do is pick a low but reasonable S corp um, officer salary. Uh, one that is not going to help have you pay more payroll taxes than necessary, but one that's going to also not cause an audit. Actually, being an S corp in general lowers your audit risk about by about seven seven times the amount that an LLC would, and so it's an S corp's a really good um, vehicle to be in or an entity to be in if you don't want to get audited. Can you give an overview real quick for those who might not know what an S corp is? Yeah, an S corp's just a flow through entity, and so an LLC and a, a sole proprietor, it's gonna same thing. It's gonna flow to your. Um, 1040 return, which is your personal return through a Schedule C form. An S Corp basically is a, is a corporation, but it, the income flows through to your personal return in the form of a K-1. And you also have to file a separate corporation form. The difference on the, is on the tax side. So an LLC or sole proprietor is going to be um, your state and federal taxes. You'll also get a 15.3% self-employment taxes on top of the state and federal taxes, whereas an S-Corp, self-employment tax goes away, but it's replaced with the payroll tax. On, on And so that's why we picked the low but reasonable wage. What, when would a C-Corp or other structure be more appropriate than an S-Corp? Uh, C-Corps, if you have probably like over 100 shareholders, so if you have a lot of investors, that would make sense. C-Corp also makes sense if um, you're going to be selling within the the f- like five-year window uh, because you can get up to $10 million, $10 million um, tax-free on the sale of a business. And so that can save on capital gains down the road. Another time that a C-Corp makes sense is if you have a lot of medical expenses, we can form a medical C-Corporation and basically turn all of your medical expenses to be tax deductible. So it's really good for somebody going through in vitro or something like that. Can you elect to convert to a C-Corp later if you know you want to sell your company? I believe you have to be, I'd have to look more into this, but I believe you have to be a, a C-Corp from the get-go or at least uh, at least for five years, but I'd have to look more into the details of that rule. And then to give our listeners an example of, of what reasonable expenses would be, I remember a couple of years ago, 
I had I had fifteen thousand dollars worth of food and travel. And it was all legitimate stuff. I could have proved it all, but I was worried it was too high. And I asked my CPA, and she said, "Actually, I think it was you guys. It was, it was Kristen." She said, "No, because it's it was significantly less than ten percent of my net income, and so." That would not be concerning at all, especially for real estate. That would be normal. She said, "What wouldn't be normal is if if you made two hundred thousand and you you claimed one hundred fifty thousand worth of travel. That would be a huge a huge red flag. What kind of reasonable person operating a business would have that much? And so that's kind of what the IRS is looking for is is just common sense stuff. Yep. Yeah. Common sense. And then every industry is different, like real estate." you're constantly meeting with people. It's a networking heavy type of business. And so um, eating out, traveling, all that stuff is very normal. I have a, a creative, I have a creative tax question for you. So with the way our business model works, you could make a case that the properties we buy are inventory. And, and so like they could be considered like cost of goods sold and from, from a particular vantage point, most people don't look at it that way. But I mean, if, if, especially if we talk about a terms business where you're literally buying things in bulk and then selling things off on payments, you know, one off here and there over time, is that something that you think is like a viable I guess, argument or a viable stance to take potentially depending on the circumstances of your business? That'll probably be saved for my dad. <laughs> we'll probably want to take that one out. I don't know the answer to that, but I can uh, I can find it out for you. Yeah, I'm asking for a friend. Drew knows the friend I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we have a friend, he's expensing... Um, he's expensing his land and considering it an expense and then he just pays full taxes on it when he sells it versus what most of us do is we, when we buy a piece of land, we consider it an asset and then cost of goods sold is deducted when we sell it. So uh, essentially what he's doing is, is just deferring taxes. He's not avoiding them. And it's, a, it's a little bit, you know, it, it's a little bit above my risk tolerance, but he says his CPA fully defends it because it's considered it's considered inventory almost like an Amazon business. Okay. I'll have to ask. Yeah. I would imagine you don't get like the other benefits though, but I'll have to find out. What would be the other benefits? Because now I'm curious if I'm missing out. Depreciation and all that, but I'm not I'm I'm personally not too familiar with that, but I I'll, I'll ask my dad and see. I pretty much have all of my questions answered. I, I know I don't think we have to necessarily belabor the conversation. The takeaway is, guys, Melanie is legit. If you need a CPA, go talk to her. Drew, you got anything? Uh, Melanie, how can we get a hold of you? And and if somebody contacted you, let's say before the end of the year, what, what kind of timeline? Is there any kind of cutoff to to work with your firm uh, before April? 2024 deadline? No cutoff, really. I mean, well, two weeks before, I'd say if we can't get you onboarded two weeks before, then we can't promise that your returns would be filed on time. If um, people are in a situation where they're going to pay a lot in tax, then I would say meet with us as soon as possible. The end of the year is always the best time to meet. But 
but yeah, there's no cutoff. We, we constantly are onboarding clients. It's just a matter of, you know, what time, when we can get them onboarded. It's usually a two week turnaround. Um, they can, you can text Maverick to 209-924-4192, or I can, um, I, we could use that calendar link if you want, or actually if they just email Tiffany, my sister, um, do you want me to email you that? Who, who they can email. And then if they just say they listen to this episode, we can either add them to the quarterly office hours and tax course or offer them um, a tax assessment, depending on, we have a little flow, um, a funnel that we can send them in to kind of figure out where's the best place to send them. Hey, Melanie, I do have one last minute question I just thought of. Now, for delaying taxes, I heard, I, I had a friend tell me that you can tell the IRS, hey, I want to get it on the payment system, and they only charge you 6% a year, which which in today's money is a really cheap loan. Is that true? You can get on the payment system. You can't do it all the time, I believe. I'm trying to look that up real quick. Let me see. Because um, I did that for for last year's taxes. I told them, hey, I'll I'll pay you guys in six months. But there wasn't any kind of interest rate attached to it. I have no idea what kind of fees. I just know that I see it as a cheap loan. And no matter what they charge me, it'll probably be worth it. IRS will provide up to 120 days to taxpayers to pay their full tax balance. Um, there's a penalty of 0.5% per month on the unpaid balance. So, oh, that's a, yeah, that's if you owe money. So, so that's 6% a year. So I did like a six month thing. So I guess I would pay 3% of my bill. And you have 120 days to pay that off. Oh, so the first four months are free pretty much. Uh, no fees. There's a penalty of 0.5% per month on the, un- yeah, you're right. Sounds like that. I, I don't want to confirm that for you before you go doing it, but confirm that with Kristen. So pretty much I got like a six month loan for one percent interest. That's what the way I see it. Sounds like it. I don't think you, I don't think you could do that every year though. But I could be wrong. Ask Kristen. That's not a bad. I mean, that wouldn't be. That is like a loan. Well, I'll try it out. I'll let you guys know. <laughs> don't try it out. Don't have the oh you did conversation. <laughs> have the have the use your unlimited calls to ask. <laughs> well, and and guys, I just want to say as we land the plane here. Pay your taxes. Yes. <laughs> Be legit. But yeah, you guys are awesome. Well, really appreciate it, Melanie. Uh, keep us posted on what you got going on. I want to I, I wanna send as many people as I can your direction. Anytime somebody asks me for a CPA, you guys will be hearing from me and referring people your direction. So really appreciate it. For sure. Yeah. Until next time. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you.